This is Jennifer Stock for another edition of Ocean Currents, a show that dives into ocean-related topics, bringing marine science and natural science, natural history curiosity, and conservation about the ocean to you to help guide our understanding and appreciation for what makes up three-quarters of our planet. Um, this show is once a month, every fourth Monday, or every fourth Thursday, and rebroadcast the following Monday at 1 p.m. Today we'll be talking about two different topics. I'm splitting up the show into two halves. And on the first half of the show, I'll be talking with Reverend Deborah Streeter, uh, leader of Upwellings and Environmental Ministry. And we'll be talking about a new initiative she is leading that brings together environmental scientists with religious leaders to focus on the dangers confronting the world's oceans. So a very different uh, point of view than we've had before. And then in the second half of the show, I'll be bringing in a local film producer, David McGuire, about a film he was recently a part of a team on called Sharks, Stewards of the Reef. And he'll be giving us an update on that and where you can see it and um, about an upcoming event for World Oceans Day. So stay with us. We'll be back in just a few moments. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Ocean Currents, and we'll be back in just a minute. Um, on the line here, I'm talking with uh, Reverend Deborah Streeter, who is an ordained Protestant minister for over 20 years. She also serves as a volunteer advisor on the Monterey Bay National Marine Sanctuary Advisory Council, and she's also a docent at the Monterey Bay Aquarium. She is the founder and director of Upwellings, a ministry of environmental stewardship based in Carmel, California. Recently, Deborah headed a year-long initiative called the Living Oceans Initiative that accumulated into a weekend retreat, bringing environmental scientists and religious leaders together to focus on what they have in common rather than what they do not. So, Deborah, thanks for joining me today on Ocean Currents. I'm very happy to be here, Jennifer. Thanks a lot. Um, so first, I just want to focus, I don't often hear the term environmental ministry. Can you talk about what the Upwellings Ministry is all about? Sure. I've been a local church pastor, a campus minister, a hospital chaplain. I've just done a lot of different kinds of ministry. And when I moved to the Central Coast, I found myself, it, it was like a calling to connect with the ocean and coastal issues. And one way I decided to learn more about what the particular issues were that challenge us on the Central Coast was to become a guide at the Monterey Bay Aquarium, which gives a great education as a preparation for being a guide. And I learned about upwellings, which is an, an ocean phenomenon that happens just in five places on West Coast around the world, and what and the Central Coast is one where the in the spring and summer the wind shifts the wind comes more from the north blows the surface water away and from the deep up wells cold nutrient rich water that's part of a worldwide ocean coastal deep sea current system and so from long ago and far away some of this water's been down there for thousand years from long ago and far away comes this deep nutrient-rich water that feeds the ocean um, ecosystem like on the 
central coast that that really feeds the whole kelp forest habitat. As I learned about that uh, ocean phenomenon, I said, "What a what a metaphor for the way that we in the spiritual community experience God." That the surface has to be blown away, and from that change from long ago and far away comes this deep ocean nutrient system that that feeds plants and animals and nourishes us, and it's a gift. It's it's not something we can order up. It it happens in El Nino years. It doesn't happen. So it's it, it it's also an an example of how we. We are dependent upon our our um, natural habitat systems. We can't control them. So I decided that uh, as I was called to this ministry of trying to connect faith communities and ocean conservation issues, that I would use the upwelling metaphor as a way of, of reminding all of us that it's a gift and um, we need to um, relate to this ocean as um, a, a partner in, in God's creation. It is a really beautiful metaphor, especially the way you described it. I can really relate to that because I'm familiar with our ocean ecology, and I'm wondering if people who are more connected with forest ecology or desert ecology have similar metaphors for them that spiritually move them. Do you know of other uh, ministries in the world that are moved by the environment so much as you are with the ocean? Well, there's been, for many years, uh, quite a few religious traditions have been involved in what's called green theology. If you go to a religious bookstore or if you go online to webofcreation.org or the National Religious Partnership for the Environment, or there's really been a lot of work by a very broadly interfaith group of folks for, for many years since since Earth Day began in the in the late um, 60s uh, of folks who come, who care about the environment from a religious perspective um, I've sort of been intrigued and, and a lot of it is is inspired by Aldo Leopold's very important work where he describes um, a, a land ethic that that um, the land is not a community is not a commodity that belongs to us, but a community to which we belong. Uh, I, I just think that's a, a really key uh, concept: the the idea of community and belong. Um, but anyway, as as I got to know the ocean uh, ecosystem, I mean, I'm a I'm a minister, I'm not a scientist, but as I got to know it, I thought, well, I wonder is 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 there such a thing as blue theology that's different from green theology? And, you know, a, a, a couple things that I, I think are important is that the ocean gives us um, all our um, weather, most of our air, you know, most of our climate in terms of the air we breathe comes from um, comes from the, the plankton in the oceans. Um, much of the food... Um, increasingly, people live near the coast. Uh, so I uh, and and you know I'm a, I'm a great believer in evolution. I I think evolution was one of God's great ideas for how to uh, help life flourish on our planet. So that 
so that we all began. The ocean is our birthplace. It's a, it's our womb. Um, so I, I just think uh, as as uh, interfaith groups have really worked a lot on green theology, I think they're now moving into blue theology. I think it's a wonderful way to bring a lot more people in to feel included in religion where um, some folks may feel excluded, but having that metaphor for a relationship with the the bigger picture it sounds very inviting to me for someone myself not having been very active in religious um, practices but the relationship to nature I'm sure is what brings a lot of folks in to help be a part of that so I wanted to ask you as part of your ministry in the last year or so you've been working on this initiative called the Living uh, Living Oceans Initiative and how did this idea come about and what's behind it? Well, let me just say that it's the Living Ocean Initiative. Oh, one ocean. One ocean. And that's, that's true. I should know one that. <laughs> of the things, actually, I learned from the aquarium and from the uh, National Marine Sanctuary Program that you're, you're involved in and I, too, care deeply about is that I learned from the, uh, I learned from them this whole concept of ocean literacy that essentially it is one world ocean and and we, uh, you know, we just uh, take part in a little, you know, our, our little part of it, but it's all way connected. Thank you for clarifying that. You're right on with that, so thank you. Well, I just, <laughs> I, I found that a very profound um, idea, because, you know, when I was going to school, it was all like, you know, the seven seas and all of that. But anyway, as, as I felt this call um, to try and connect religious communities, uh, ocean conservation communities, you know, like the Sierra Club or Friends of the Sea Otter or whatever, and and um, and scientific organizations like the Monterey Bay Aquarium or the National Marine Sanctuary Program. It felt to me like we all cared about, in religious language, we would say caring for creation. We all had a common agenda. We, we all wanted to do what we could to care for creation, but we weren't doing much together. Um, we we used different language, we were a little mistrustful of each other, and I thought, well, maybe I could try and do something which would just bring everybody to the table and just sort of share ideas. So I got this idea of planning an event, which we had on a February 20th at the Monterey Bay Aquarium, which graciously hosted us, um, an event sponsored by the aquarium, but also by the National Marine Sanctuary Program. And i got to say, here are two science-based organizations, the Aquarium mm-hmm. and the National Marine Sanctuary Program, but they realized that reaching out to the religious community broadly interface would um, help them um, uh, complete their mission. So they hosted an event of 150 religious leaders broadly interface, Buddhist, Muslim, Hindu, Protestant, Catholic, Jewish, New Age, um, and together we met with uh, about 25 ocean scientists and conservation leaders. Our goal was simply to build bridges, to create partnerships and friendships, and so we spent time together sharing our common concerns and coming with, up with ideas of, of what, what folks in religious communities could do. Um, to promote um, ocean conservation as faithful activity, as, as like, okay, you're going to try and be a good ex, you know, Hindu, Buddhist, whatever, um, doing ocean conservation would, would be a, a, a 
faithful activity. Yeah, I'm not so familiar with uh, diversity of religions that you are very familiar with, but isn't the um, stewardship of the land and the earth one of the common denominators in many religions around the world? It's true, very much so. If you look at all the different religious traditions, and and frankly, we have way more in common than divides us. Um, Mm -hmm. But um, if, if you look at the different world religions, they all have some kind of stewardship ethic, some, some kind of sense in which creation is a gift. Um, it's not, it's not a, a, an object, it's a subject. In, in, in other words, we have, a, we have a, you know, an I-thou relationship with it, in Uber's terms. We, we, um, creation is something that is not as a resource for us to use, but a gift for which we should be thankful or a, a community to, to which we belong, you know, to use those kind of um, metaphors. And, and um, every world religion has that, and it, it's really not hard to find that support. So um, so I um, invited, I had a great planning committee, it wasn't just me, but I invited uh, representatives from all these different um, religious traditions on the Central Coast um, to come together, and, and we um, we invited from each religious community um, a clergy person, an educator, and a lay person. In other words, three people from each um, congregation to say, okay, if, if we were going to do this kind of work in our Somewhat of a team, as they go back, they have a team to be with instead of just one person. Exactly, and a lot of it is around education. Um, so in the in the three months since this event, I've just sort of been trying to pay attention to what the different congregations have done in terms of worship or communication or action or, or education. And my pretty conservative estimate is that about 6,000 people have heard some kind of ocean conservation message. Wow in their religious setting, in their, in their spiritual community. So what were some of the um, issues discussed and ways to bridge, I'm not so sure if it's a gap necessarily, but ways to address some of the issues that were discussed and some outcomes that were um, placed with, with both the religi- religious leaders and educators and also with the scientists? Well, it was really an exciting day, and... Um, you know, the temptation was just to go right to practical, you know, just say, okay, you got it, do this, don't do this. <laughs> and, you know, and, and there are some very practical things. I mean, one thing that most religious communities like to do is eat. I mean, we all love to get together. <laughs> that is and, another common denominator. And have potlucks and, you know, receptions after, you know, happy events and sad events, you know, weddings, funerals, whatever. And, and so one project we have is just promoting um, the aquarium's uh, seafood watch card and just encouraging folks when they get together to um, to eat sustainably caught uh, fish. And that's, that's an easy thing to do. And, and we have a, a, a cookbook that um, encourages sustainably caught food and also um, includes lots of scriptural passages. You're standing there waiting for the water to boil and you can, you can read this stuff. Um, but but more than that, we um, we were just trying to build some uh, some relationships of trust and um, 
and common cause between the science community and the and the faith community. I, I just think it's one of the really sad things of the of the modern era that that people feel like they have to choose. They they have to be either a science person or a religion person, and that I, I you know God gave us brains for a reason, and I, I just think it's one of the one of the great gifts that we have to uh, to learn about our environment and to try and care for it more faithfully. Um, so we found that there were actually a variety of scientists who were members of faith communities, and there were a variety of religious folks who had science backgrounds. Um, and, and so we wanted to give people a chance to have those kind of conversations and say, wow, um, you know, God create, created this amazing world, and let's uh, take care of it in a, in a better way. Mm-hmm. So what were some of the things scientists felt they could help to bridge the gap perhaps more? Um, is there a communication method? or I mean, it sounds like there's a lot of discussion of realizing the common ground, but as far as next steps go... Do uh, scientists yeah. have a, a new role they, they may consider as far as communicating? Well, part of the question is sort of the old uh, head-heart question. You know, how, just to use the aquarium as, a, as an example, they, they were one of the sponsors, but the, the sanctuary program was a, a, another very important sponsor of this event. But, um, you know, how do you change behavior? How do, how do you encourage people to um, become uh, better stewards of the environment? And I think we've had this idea, and the scientists in general have, have often had this idea that we work from the head. You know, give, them fa- give people facts, tell them, you know, tell them the problem and give them lots of data and all of that, and then they'll change behavior. Mm-hmm. But... But what we're finding is that you also need to talk to people's hearts. Just you, you can't just talk to heads. You need to talk to hearts. And and so if someone is at a um, a worship service and hears that um, um, to be a faithful person means to change your behavior in terms of. Um, how, how you relate to your coastline, what you do with your oil, or how you eat, or, or choices you make. Um, that, that that's a, a religious concept. It's not just a, um, a head thing, it's a heart thing. Uh, and, and so, since the event, there have been lots of activities where churches have done, um, or, and not just churches, I, I don't like to use that term, I try to use the term congregations, because it's a little more inclusive, it's been a great challenge working in the interfaith community and just finding language that has meaning for everybody. But anyway, just uh, trying to help congregations um, uh, be faithful in terms of their lifestyle um, and and changing behavior. It's wonderful. Thanks for describing that. I think that's one of the major things that people don't realize in regards to changing behavior. And we're in a real critical crisis now on our planet, and people are realizing, wow, we have things to do. But it isn't until people care in their hearts that they're going to or can do it or make it easy for them to make those changes. And it's one of the major issues we face in education. And we can outreach and educate as much as we want, but people to really take it to heart, and it matters to them personally, 
not much can happen. So it's wonderful to discuss that and make that more out there and aware because it's it's something we don't talk about a lot in regards to how to change behavior. Well, I really appreciate the fact that both the Monterey Bay um, National Marine Sanctuary, which is uh, you know part of the National Marine Sanctuary program, you're involved with the uh, uh, Gulf of Farallon, the Cordell Bank, and all of that. Those the, uh, this incredible uh, program that our tax dollars support um, to protect these ocean habitats, and then uh, the Monterey Bay Aquarium. They're both science-based organizations, but they were willing to take a risk and spend some money and some time um, uh, building partnerships with the religious community. Um, I, I, I really value that, and I think that um, uh, folks, they want to make a difference. They want to know what they can do um, to help uh, preserve our coastline. That's great. I have a quote here from one of the articles that was sent out after that covered this event, and Julie Packard, the executive director of the Monterey Bay Aquarium, called this a chance to build a constituency for the conservation of the ocean, which I interpreted as just like broadening our constituency. And like you were saying, the aquarium and, and the marine sanctuaries, we are probably very limited in who we're reaching with our audiences. And it's wonderful to have leaders like you really taking that to another level of, of folks we may not be reaching. Um, it's said in one of these articles that the Pew Research Center found that 59% of Americans say religion play a very important role in their lives, double the number who say so in Europe. And that speaks very largely about who Americans listen to when deciding who to vote for and how to live. 59%. And so we ought to be working more with religious leaders and other types of groups that we don't necessarily reach to to bring people in more to become more steward based and, and aware of their environment. So it's people like you that have really helped bridge those gaps. So Deborah, it's wonderful to, to have you leading this effort. Well, if you look at American history and the, and the, the social movements, um, uh, abolition, uh, women's rights, civil rights, gay and lesbian rights, none of those have reached a critical mass and affected change, sort of culture change, until the religious community got involved, and it was, you know, abolition became a religious movement um, about, you know, we're all created in God's image, no one should be a slave. Similarly, women's rights, civil rights, now gay and lesbian rights. And I really see environmental uh, issues as sort of the frontier for um, a really important religious movement, and, and as... You know, you go on any, uh, you know, a, a couple websites that are great, webofcreation.org, National Religious Partnership for the Environment, nrpe.org. Um, it, it's amazing what religious organizations are doing um, to promote um, this, this sense of, of gift and, and, and really justice, because environmental um, degradation, climate change, whatever, it affects the poor way more um, than it affects those of us in, in privilege. And, and so religious communities, broadly diverse, are, are, are really getting involved in this, and I, I think they're an important partner in this effort. 
Do you think future participation in on these issues and, and the religious efforts that you're talking about may eventually bring in more conservative religious beliefs? I mean, there is such a broad spectrum of folks out there, and there's some folks that are a little bit more conservative. What do you think it's going to take to bring them on to really get behind it? Well, you know, actually, there's a very interesting uh, phenomenon that's happening in the, uh, you know, I'm not a big fan of labels. I mean, you know, in my religious tradition, Jesus said, you know, there's neither male nor female, Greek nor Jew, slave nor free. You know, it, it, it's like get rid of labels. But but, but we do, you know, we function in a label con- community. So um, these so-called more conservative uh, theological types, um, they have, in the last year or so, uh, really stepped up and done some very creative stuff um, around conservation. Um, they have a great new film called uh, The Second Warming um, uh, about climate change. Um, they spearheaded a whole effort, which was called What Would Jesus Drive? You know, you know this whole thing about the, the bracelets, you know, and what would Jesus do? They did an effort, what would Jesus drive? And, and their, their point was that Jesus would drive a hybrid car. And, and um, uh, the, the religious community, the, the so-called uh, conservative religious community, um, has really brought a great, you know, I think every religious community brings a gift to the table. It's a big table. We all bring gifts to the table. And what the, and what the conservative theological community brings is a great concern for the poor and for justice. And um, That's a good point. And they're really doing some very creative work in that regard, and I, I'm very thankful for them. Richard Sizik and the National um, Environmental Association, I, I think, is being very bold in, in that work. Well, Deborah, we're just about out of time, and I wanted to give you another opportunity. Can you mention those websites again where people might be able to go to read up a little bit more on some of the work being done? Sure. I mean, I, I would just encourage people to just poke around on the net. I mean, go to go to the National Marine Sanctuary Program. Go to um, the Simon website, which is off of uh, the West Coast Sanctuary um, website, but in in terms of the uh, just to learn more, you know, because I really can't emphasize enough. Um, God gave us brains, and um, really is I think thrilled when we learn more and we do more. Um, and, but in terms of the work that the religious community is doing, broadly uh, defined, I, I really am committed to interfaith work. Um, uh, a couple of great websites, I think, are webofcreation.org. That's, that's the World Council of Churches, uh, I mean, the National Council of Churches website. And then there's also nrpe.org, which is National Religious Partnership for the Environment. And, and, and I mean, we're talking, uh, you know, I don't hang out a lot with the conservative <laughs> religious right, but in terms of environmental work, um, we're all working together. We're all on the same page. And uh, so those are two very good websites. And then I'm a big fan of uh, thankyouocean.org, which, which is, a, our, again, our tax dollars at work. It's, a, it's an effort of the National Marine Sanctuary Program and the uh, California Resources Agency. And it's a, it's a wonderful 30-second public service announcement, thankyouocean.org, that is essentially, it's a video prayer. 
it's it, it's a, a statement of thank you, and it's a, a, a personal relationship with the ocean. So that's great I'd that you. That's great I'd that you mentioned the, that. Those three. Thank you. We're going to be talking about the Thank You Ocean a little in the second half of the show a little bit, so that was nice that you mentioned that. Deborah, thanks so much for sharing your, your information with us and being a leader, bridging new constituencies to help get on board with protecting the ocean and the environment. It's really wonderful and inspirational to talk with you. Thanks for joining us today. Well, Jennifer, I really appreciate the chance to talk, and if anyone wants to be in touch with me, they can just go to uh, the Monterey Bay National Marine Sanctuary, and I'm, I'm the chair of uh, the advisory council. There. Great. My, my email is online there. Perfect. Thanks so much. Thanks, Jennifer. Okay, we'll be talking to you soon. Take care. Okay. Bye. Bye-bye. And those of you just tuning in, you're listening to KWMR in Point Reyes Station and Bolinas. This is Ocean Currents, and we've been talking with Reverend Deborah Streeter, uh, leader of the Upwellings Environmental Ministry out of Carmel, California, talking about bridging science and religion to uh, helping to protect the ocean a little bit more. So we're going to take a short break, and um, when I come back, we'll have David McGuire with us, a film producer from Trillium Films out of Sausalito. Please stay with us. Welcome back, folks. You're listening to Ocean Currents, and this is Jennifer Stock, and I have David McGuire in the studio with me. David McGuire is a film producer with Trillium Films out of Sausalito, and he is going to talk today about Stewards of the Reef. A little background on David. He's a diver, videographer, writer, and ocean voyager. He is educated in marine biology and holds a master's in environmental health and has worked in education environmental health for over a decade. And, David, I'm really curious, how do you manage a career sailing on the Polynesian sail voyages, filming sharks, and also doing environmental health? Do you still do both of these things? (laughs) Uh, Indirectly, yes. Thanks, Jennifer, for having me on the show. It's a great program. Um, I worked at UC Berkeley for about 10 years, and I I was kind of taking leaves longer and longer, going out in the ocean and diving. And eventually I just decided I had to get out of the building and into the ocean. I felt that I could make more of a difference in ocean education and even public health by dealing with ocean health issues. It's great. It's a neat perspective to bring to marine conservation and education. So um, tell me a little bit about this uh, Trillium Films Company in Sausalito. What types of films does the company focus on? Well, it's a very small company. Uh, There are really only three or four of us. And uh, we make nature films. Uh, the last one was on the Headwaters Forest called The Last Stand. Um, primarily just na- nature conservation films. This is the first ocean film. And so how did you get focused on sharks? Well, I've always loved sharks. I've always lived near the ocean. And sharks are very, very important to the marine system. And scientists have always known this, but it's becoming increasingly uh, Uh, on the radar how important they really are as they are becoming hunted out and we're seeing whole ecosystems change as a result of the removal of these top predators. It's a big point in shark stewards of the reef. Uh, We look at the importance of sharks ecologically but also culturally as well. And sharks, uh, I've lived in Hawaii and in Hawaii sharks are very important. They're a a deity. Uh, They deify them whereas we demonize them in our culture. And one good example of that, I was driving in here, and you see the no shark sticker, which I don't think people mean uh, malignantly, but it's really a bad message because sharks live here. This is like one of the areas of greatest shark attacks, yet it's one per year on the average, and most people survive. So we really have a misconception of sharks, and uh, recent studies have come out that some populations have been fished out as much as 90%, some even more. That's insane. Well, I have actually a quick clip from the trailer. Let's play this real quick so people can get a flavor for 
Um, first, I got to pull it up. Get a flavor for what the movie's all about. So stay tuned. It is important to have an ocean with all its components, a healthy and functioning ocean, including the top predators. Sharks were these apex predators on coral reefs for 300 million years until we humans got there. Now we are the apex predators in reefs all around the world. I think one of the biggest problems in fisheries worldwide is we've just got too good at it. I mean, in many things in life, in industry, for example, you want to be efficient. But in terms of fish, you don't want to be too efficient. If you're too efficient, you take out everything. We're seeing uh, increased fishing pressure on sharks all over the world through all types of fishing gear. Shark population is decreasing pretty badly. Some estimates say 85% in the last 15 years. Wow, you can really tell the drama with the music. It's a great choice of music. Thanks. So there must have been a lot of research put into this film before you actually got to get out filming and, and meeting these other experts in the field about ecology of sharks. How much time went in prior to starting the filming process? Well, it was interesting. We actually went, uh, this was shot off of a sailboat on a voyage uh, from here to New Zealand, Hawaii, and back. And the, fir the original concept was to do something on atolls and atoll life. And we spent a great deal of our time and a great deal of our filming in the Tuamotu archipelago uh, in, as part of French Polynesia. Well, as soon as we splashed and we were in the water with hundreds of sharks, I mean, I knew it had to be about sharks. And the more we learned about the issues facing sharks, we knew it had to be about sharks. And we actually experienced the removal of sharks on some islands where we saw them fishing at night and we dove reefs that were completely depauperate of these top predators and other fish. And you could see the degradation occurring right before your eyes, essentially. And really, sharks became symptomatic or symbolic, I should say, of what the greater ocean conservation, conservation issues are. Sharks are the regulator of the ocean. They're the, you know, the carburetor runs crazy without the regulator, and that's what's going. When we're, when we're removing these uh, top predators, we're getting an imbalance in the system, uh, and we get this cascade effect, and it creates disease of the coral reefs or uh, algification, detrophication. Uh, it, it really becomes a compounding issue. So we pretty early on made a film from French Polynesia to Omotu, so like we really need to do something about sharks. And then when we found out the shark-coral reef connection, as highlighted by Dr. Sala of Scripps Institute, we said, that's it. And as a marine biologist, uh, it was very easy to do the research and, and do the writing for the film, and we had to cut it back from an hour. <laughs> like I bet it's very hard <laughs> to cut back. Well, first, I just want to mention this whole sail trip sounds like a movie in itself. Sailing from San Francisco to Hawaii, and then where after that? Yeah, the, it was a, a movie in itself. <laughs> um, it kind of is. We have hundreds of hours of footage, actually. But uh, we started in Sausalito, and this is when I was still at Berkeley, and we sailed to the Marquesas Island. I've done a circumpacific navigation before. 
and I left, went back to work, and then went to the, they went on, and I, I hooked up the next year, and then the next year I rejoined them in Tahiti, and we went uh, westwards to the Cook Islands and Tonga and Fiji and down to New Zealand, oh my and then gosh. back to the Tuamotus. <laughs> At that point, it became so concrete that okay, these are the shots we need um, to finish this film up. And then we ended up in Hawaii, just as the sanctuary, well, the sanctuary has kind of been languishing at that point. This is the Northwest Hawaiian Islands you're talking about? The Northwest Hawaiian Islands uh, Sanctuary, the proposed 14th Sanctuary. And I'm a big advocate of the sanctuaries and marine protection. And it's like, we need to do something as a solution. We've seen all the decimation of, of pelagic fish. We've seen degradation of coral reef habitat. What can we do to conserve and protect our oceans? These are so important. And so uh, we really wanted to pitch it. And just out of the blue, uh, President Bush signed in the new Marine National Monument. That must have been a shock from being on a <laughs> sailboat all this time, and then, wow, you hear all this news. It happened when we were back, but it, fortunately we had not quite finished the, the script, or the film itself. We were just wrapping it up, but it was a welcome change. That's interesting. And, you know, one of the things from, I had, I've had Andy Collins on before, right after the monument was designated, actually, and something I find really interesting about that ecosystem is that it seems that the top predation level is fairly intact as far as the whole e reef ecosystems. There's a lot of top predators still there, which is one of the few areas on, in, on the planet where it still is intact as an ecosystem. Like, did you witness it that way? Or Yes, that's exactly true. And that's why these remote islands that are relatively or mostly or, or completely uninhabited are important to conserve and even limit visitation in some areas or completely restrict it in others. Uh, it is very top predator rich, just like the Tuamotu Atoll, just like Palmyra Atoll, where I've been doing some work with the Nature Conservancy and Fish and Wildlife. And these are the areas they have not been fished. They've had relatively good enforcement because they're in U.S. waters. The Coast Guard are there. Uh, they're relatively well studied because Fish and Wildlife are there. Uh, and these are the areas that really do need to be studied because you can actually transfer the knowledge from an intact system and hopefully restore a system that's less intact. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the things, you know, earlier in the show we were talking about uh, religions and, and the relationship with nature, with religion, and I think the Polynesian culture really has um, an amazing relationship with nature and their language. And I actually, I have a track right here that I want to play real quick that names the new monument because it's a name I can't personally say, but it's said very well here and it's um, explained as to what the meaning is behind it. And this is the area that David was talk just talking about, the Northwest Hawaiian Islands. It was just renamed as a Marine National Monument, of the name of which you're going to learn in just a second. The name Papahano Mokuakea comes from um, an old story um, from, from mythologies um, concerning Hawaiian traditions and cosmology. Um, and in the, in the distant past, there were two um, very well-known ancestors of the native Hawaiians, um, Papa Hanomoku, who was a symbolic of the Earth Mother, or uh, Papa, who gives literally gives birth to the islands, and and Wakia, who was like the Sky Father, and the union of these two people. Um, resulted in two things, the, the birthing of, of the Hawaiian race and all the descendants that live in Hawaii today, and also the birthing of the Hawaiian Islands, um, the, the most isolated archipelago on the planet um, that stretches all the way from Hawaii Island all the way up to Kure or Holaniku. Um, this story um, serves as a reminder to everybody about the connection between man and his environment and our responsibility to take care of the environment. 
I think that pretty much sums it up for what that area is about and the relationship folks have with that out there. Yeah, what's very interesting is that uh, the sanctuaries and the wonderful thing about our marine sanctuaries is that they don't just protect natural resources, they protect cultural resources, and that's a perfect example. And there are islands such as Mokumanamana and Nihoa that have ancient shrines on them that were believed to be wayfinding points for the old Hawaiian navigators, and they're still extant. And Hawaiians go there for, uh, for sacred rites, and they have access to these areas, that, and, and they're conserved. They're, the, the shrines are conserved, and they're very sacred, and they're respected, and it's a wonderful thing. It's amazing just the story of how this place has come to be and, and that recognition there. So you were mentioning that as you approached this area and were realizing, oh, my gosh, this monument was just designated. It changed the, the way of your film. How did, that, how did it take the, the end of your film? Well, you, if you watch so many films, you, you get hit with the issues, a particular documentary, and people roll their eyes, and they're like, oh, my God, another documentary, and it's very serious and sobering. But there is hope, and we have to have hope, and we have to believe. And, and you know, your program preceding it was really great because it, it, the ocean is a very spiritual thing, and it's really the, our source, and it hopefully is our source of our salvation as well as our birth. And... Uh, there must be hope and conservation of these areas. And I just lost my train of thought. <laughs> We're generating hope, the end of the film of the monument. Right. Well, uh, we wanted to end on a message of hope. And uh, it's so we, we were seized upon the marine protected area concept. And at the time, it was the proposed 14th National Marine Sanctuary. It's like, well, this is great. It's coral reef. It's sharks. It's predator rich. It's near America, yet it's not uh, highly habitated. It's a great thing to preserve. We really need to conserve it. And who knows if it's going to happen during this, this uh, administration. Nobody thought. Andy Collins, all the people, Ailani Wilhelm in the office, like, no, it's not going to happen. It's like, well, I want to come out in support of this. And I want to support this sanctuary. And that's going to be our conclusion. And at the last minute, it just happened. Uh, apparently, President Bush saw Jean-Michel Cousteau's Voyage to Curé film. And he just said, I'm going to sign it in. I think there were other things. Uh, There's very little resistance to it besides a, a few fishermen. Uh, the Hawaiians were for it mostly. Uh, the governor does, you know, was for it. There w but it was a, a great environmental gesture, and I won't make any political <laughs> No, statements. we don't need to do that. <laughs> this, I think this audience is very well aware of that. <laughs> but it is an amazing example, and um, I'm so enjoying hearing how it's progressing and how they're working together with the agencies. So about the film Sharks... Stewards of the Reef, um, it, it um, debuted at the San Francisco Ocean Film Festival, and I know that's recently played at the Tiburon Film Festival, where some places folks can see it. It's a 30-minute film, and I, you know, I saw it, and it has beautiful footage, and honestly, it was some of it very hard to swallow, because you don't honestly see this every day as far as some of the real footage that you show, but it's sobering. Where can folks see it? Right. Well, just to add on that, one of the things I don't want to give the impression is, is that this is a man-eating film because we went to great endeavor to show sharks in their natural habitat and the beautiful animals they are and how highly adapted. And really, it was very difficult to film because we didn't chum, we didn't attract sharks. And pretty much these large sharks, if they see you, they either leave before you see them or they come look at you and they're gone. And so th as far as swallowing, it has more to do with what's happening to sharks, not what sharks exactly. are doing to people. Um, We've been showing in film festivals. I just got back from Seattle. We're showing in Europe. Uh, we're quite well-received over there. We're really getting launched in the U.S. Um, we're going to have an event on June 9th, World Ocean Day, that I kind of cooked up with the Surfrider Foundation in Marin. 
and we're going to host Shark Stewards of the Reef at the Lark Theater on 549 Magnolia in Larkspur. And this is a fundraiser for the Lark Theater, which is a great independent theater. And so Surfrider will be there. Uh, other nonprofits, California Academy of Sciences, the Cordell Bank National we'll Marine Sanctuary, and other nonprofits will come out and uh, make this a great ocean awareness and education event. With our film will be thankyou.org, thankyouocean.org, right. which I'm a member of the California Oceans Communication Alliance, uh, Shifting Baselines, which are great short PSAs by Randy Olson. There's going to be a surf film by Surf Rider. So it's going to be kind of a film, ocean film fest, and then education with tables and live ukulele music. So it starts, it's from noon to 4 at the Lark Theater in Larkspur. And this is on Saturday, June 9th? Saturday, June 9th. World o- it's the, actually the day after World Ocean Day. We're doing a little kickoff in the city at, on uh, the Real Ocean Day, uh, Saturday, I mean, I'm sorry, Friday, Friday. June 8th. And uh, you can go to the website info at oceandayssf.org. Info at, say that again? Info at ocean, S, I'm sorry, oceandayssf.org. Or you can go to our website, www.sharkstewards.com. I'm sure you could also look up Lark Theater, that, World Ocean Day. Yes. So many ways. It's amazing at the power of the internet searching. You know, I just recently uh, read that World Ocean Day uh, was created in 1992 at the Earth Summit in Rio de Janeiro, although it's not yet officially designated by the UN. Um, but it's an opportunity for us to celebrate our ocean, and I'm so thrilled to celebrate it through film because that's such a great way to personally connect. I, I'm so excited for this event. I love ocean films. Um, but I just also read that President Bush declared this World Oceans Month. Yeah, it's great. He's becoming an He's ocean man. All kinds of surprises. <laughs> um, yeah, this is what we're trying to do is to get the UN to recognize this as World Ocean Day. Uh, it's the 14th annual event, but this will be the first in Marin County. Uh, kind of seized upon that as a, a, an idea with surf riders. We were like, let's show a film. Let's do an ocean awareness event. How about let's do it at the Lark? And then, you know, I learned about the Lark's uh, drive to, to buy the theater back so it doesn't become another shopping mall. And it re- maintains this beautiful it's Art really Deco beautiful theater, theater, single screen, independent theater that shows documentaries. So that's how it all kind of evolved. And we really put t- cobbled it together very quickly. Next year will be really bigger and greater. But I'm, so I'm really excited. looking forward to it also. I've been, I you. really am a big fan of the Ocean Film Festival happening in San Francisco. And I've recently been thinking, wouldn't it be cool if we had one in West Marin even just once a month? So I, I'm sort of cultivating some ideas in my brain of how to bring some ocean films out here, and maybe we'll be talking more about that. Great. So, folks, next Saturday is World Ocean. Well, World Ocean Day is Friday the eighth, but you can come out to the Lark Theater on Saturday to see some films. Um, some of them really short, some of them a little bit longer that all celebrate our watery planet. There'll be some nonprofits. There'll be some ukulele. Will there be hula dancers too? There may be some hula dancers. Oh, I know a couple of hula <laughs> dancers locally. So it sounds like a really fun event, and I'm really looking forward to it. And you can come talk to us a little bit more about maybe what you want to hear more on ocean currents. Are there any other last things you want to mention about the Sharks movie or um, ocean, World Oceans Day? Well, we're hoping we're we're getting the film on PBS. Um, we really encourage people to come and look at the film. You can take action. Uh, not only for World Ocean Day, we'll have a couple petitions. We've got a, a thinning ban petition on our website, sharkstewards.com. The really largest threat right now to sharks is the practice of shark finning, cutting the fin off and r- discarding the rest of the animal. 
And so we want to know that people can take action in addition to supporting sanctuaries and marine protected areas. Shark finning doesn't happen in U.S. waters, though, right? It's... Um where does it happen mainly? It pretty much happens all over the world. Really? It's recently made illegal in the U.S. just a couple months ago in Mexico. But it's going on in the Galapagos. It's going on in marine protected areas. It's going on illegally in, U- in U.S. waters. It's a huge incentive. It's like this big black market because they're so expensive. They're so, the demand is so high for the shark fin soup. And it's just creating almost like a black market drug trade that's just decimating shark populations. That's insane. It seems like uh, with a lot of these issues, same thing with the turtles and sea turtle eggs, this high demand product that it's time to get to the demand. And why is there this demand? And the, the, the work with that is, is a extraordinarily difficult. That's right. We have to change the consumers' minds and change the kids and get them to say no. No to shark fin soup because it's not sustainable. There are no sustainable shark fisheries. There's no shark farms. There aren't that many sharks. There aren't that many sharks. Well, it all starts with education and letting people to be aware. So thank you very much for being a part of this film and sharing, with us, sharing it with us today. Thanks for having me. I was really excited to talk with Deborah to see a movement afoot that no matter how, who we are as individuals or what we believe in regards to spirituality or science, fact is we are all on the same planet and dealing with the same threats to humanity and nature. Some are feeling it harder than others. Um, But it can only help to have more and more people addressing, talking about this planet and raising our collective concerns. So kudos to leaders like Deborah for helping lead the way and to filmmakers like David that are bringing incredible footage and issues about the ocean environment to us on our screens. And I'll be back on June 28th. I'll be talking to Roz Savage, who is preparing for a long row across the Pacific Ocean. Last year, she crossed the Atlantic Ocean solo, and now she's getting ready to row from San Francisco to Hawaii, to American Samoa, and on to Australia. This is a single uh, rowboat, one person. Pretty exciting woman, and we'll be celebrating her launch in July, but we're going to have her in just about a week or so before she takes off. And maybe she will pass our wayward humpback whales that have maybe made it out the Golden Gate, we're hoping. Um, But she's also going to be communicating uh, with Lan, and people will be able to track her online. So we'll talk more about that June 28th. Thanks for joining us today on Ocean Currents. This is KWMR in Point Reef Station and Bolinas 93.3.